Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's good to have a nice group with us today. Our topic is what you need to know to manage herbicides when planting cover crops. And I'll just say right off, I wanted to use this picture here. One of our members, Lauren Steinlegge from uh, north um, eastern Iowa, picture of his rig there. And he's doing some really interesting things. Uh, and, and as you can see there, there's there's corn already coming up. And he's spraying his, uh, I believe it's cereal rye there. Uh, so I don't know specifically what he's using here, but I thought it was a good picture here to set a stage here. Because we all are aware that when we grow cover crops, that there can be an interaction with herbicides. Now, I'll just say right up front, this has not really been a major barrier or a major challenge to the cover crop movement, which which has been nice. Uh, but I will say it's important to understand how herbicides work in the context of cover cropping. And that's really what I'm trying to do here today. Now, I'm going to show you and talk about some specifics, but I'm going to point you also to looking at specific herbicides because there's lots of them. And there's roughly 15 to 20 herbicides that are used in most of our farms. So to go over each of them as individual would probably take a lot of time. And then we have other layers of variables that I'm going to talk about. So what I try to do in all my uh, teaching is to try to to share how to think about challenges. Uh, because there's so many variables, as I said, in every situation. So that's really where I'm coming at this today, how do we approach the herbicide issue in the context of cover cropping? And uh, so that just gives you a little bit of a foundation of where I'm coming from. I want to look at three key factors. Number one, and I think maybe the most important, is understanding the half-life of herbicides. Uh, probably most of us will know what that means. I'll describe this a little later. Uh, but that, I think, is probably the, the most important thing to understand. The next is rainfall. Rainfall from the time of application, basically until the time of the uh, planting of the cover crop. And then organic matter plays a significant role in all this as well. So that's pretty much the three main topics I want to talk about today. So let's talk a little bit about half-life of herbicides. Half-life is a term that's basically used there for the amount of time it takes for the herbicide to lose half of its activity in the soil. And for some herbicides, and I'm going to use some examples here, I'm going to use the one verdict because it's one I'm familiar with. It's a combination of Outlook and Sharpen. Uh, if you're in other countries or maybe even in, in uh, um, Canada, I know some of these have different trade names, but uh, it's the ones I'm familiar with. And uh, Verdict has gotten quite a bit of attention, particularly in those who are trying to intercede cover crops, which really makes this understanding important of how to be able to manage herbicides because when you intercede cover crops when the corn is only at v4 to v6 you're only looking at about four to five weeks after planting so there's very little time so a herbicide 
like Verdict, which is a very uh, short half-life, literally in a matter of days, a week or two, it is it is it is to the point where it's not going to affect a cover crop. That is one reason why Verdict is is a favored uh, herbicide to be used in interseeding. But even if you're not interseeding and you're just planning on planting a cover crop after your corn, your soybeans, or even wheat or whatever, um, you need to understand the half-life of herbicides. And that's what's in, you can, you can find that information out there. It's not hard to find. And since there are so many, uh, herbicides, I'm not going to go over them all. I will point you to a website that describes a lot of these, though. So, with with one like Verdict or a short half-life type herbicide, we don't have to have much concern. But then again, Verdict may not control the target weeds that you're trying to control. So, there has to be other options as as well, and there and indeed there are. Um, <clears throat> when you look at a herbicide label, sometimes you can look at the types of weeds that are listed that it controls or the types of weeds that it lists as suppressing, sometimes that can give you a indicator if it may or may not affect one of your cover crops. Uh, for instance, if you're looking at a herbicide that says it suppresses um, maybe a wild mustard or something like that, and the mustards are kind of in the brassica family, that herbicide probably, and I emphasize probably here because it's not for sure, but probably won't affect like a brassica, like a radish, because they're kind of similar in the family. Uh, any uh, good weed scientist uh, will know the history, or I should say the uh, the makeup of, of what specific herbicides target and what they're good on, and can then associate how they may or may not work with cover crops. But but I'm going to show you later. The cool thing is now we're down this road long, far enough with cover crops that most uh, weed scientists or uh, company representatives with uh, herbicide companies, they have a general knowledge of how their herbicides are performing in the context of cover cropping. So as compared to, I'll say, five to ten years ago, we were really just a shot in the dark. We were just uh, experimenting with things and seeing, you know, what worked and what didn't work. And now it's much more specific in that. I, I will say that uh, the the chemical companies are starting to take notice of cover crops, and that is really nice. Uh, and and even now they're starting to see a few labels that are starting to mention cover crops in their labels. So that's really making things a lot easier uh, compared to I remember. 15 years ago, where you just had to kind of guess how things worked. Um, here's another example. Of, uh, I'm going to use the herbicide Reflex, which has kind of been brought back to life uh, because of the uh, uh, amount of resistant weeds that are showing up. Reflex is an old soybean herbicide. I'm saying at least 20 years old, but it's been brought back for soybeans, for uh, resistant weeds uh, that uh, Roundup is not taken care of. So this is one of the ones that we got to be really careful. And the reason is it has a very long half-life. It does not break down in the soil very quickly. And um, it probably will affect a, pro a fall-planted cover crop, specifically brassicas. Uh, it's kind of well-known now that uh, if you use reflex, 
you're you're asking for a potential challenge in in in, in um, your cover crop being able to survive. So the half life understanding the half life of herbicides is again foundational to be able to understand how it's going to work in the context of our cover cropping program. Uh, the other thing is the effect of rainfall, and uh, every season of course is different. And the rainfall, and I'm just putting this in farmer terms here, rainfall pretty much dilutes the herbicide. Uh, and, of course, more rain will lessen residual effects of that herbicide for fall-planted cover crops. Now, I want to be quick to say, and I'm going to be very uh, adamant about this, that the half-life of a herbicide is still the dominant factor. So... Uh, you have to keep that in mind here. The rainfall diluting it will uh, is is certainly an effect. If we have a, a, a particularly dry season where that herbicide hasn't had a chance to uh, break down, uh, if you will, there is a increased risk of it hurting our cover crops later on. So pretty basic information. It's just something to keep in mind um, in, in the whole context of, of this topic. And then I had to mention organic matter because organic matter affects the, uh, especially residual herbicides. If you look at any label almost, there's a chart in there that sometimes will give you different rates depending on the organic matter that you happen to have in your fields. And that is directly related to um, how organic matter uh, is able to kind of, uh, I look at it this way, there's usually a higher organic matter has has, has more microbes in it and they help metabolize that herbicide quicker. Um, and there's probably other things there that I don't fully understand. But I would also add here a more biologically active soil breaks down herbicides quicker as well. And this this last point I have here, is something that is interesting to me because as we move forward in creating healthier soils by using cover crops, by using no-till or less tillage, now we can also reduce, I feel, done well, we can reduce the need for herbicides. Uh, but what's kind of an interesting dynamic that seems to occur is that when you have a higher biological uh, active soil, it'll break down that herbicide uh, quicker. So, uh, again, I just see that as an interesting dynamic to kind of keep tabs on how we manage our herbicides in the context as we evolve down the road of our, of our, uh, of our cover cropping system. So uh, looking at knowing what your organic matter is is also another factor here in, in trying to determine uh, what to do. But as I mentioned, the half-life of a herbicide is clearly the dominant factor when managing herbicides in the context of cover cropping. And I, and I want that to be, uh, you know, remembered here from this talk today. So it's kind of um, somewhat uh, theoretical, but how, how does some of this stuff actually work in practice? Well, I'm going to share some of the work that I'm very familiar with here at Penn State University. Um, and uh, to my knowledge, this is a, actually a picture of Bill Curran, a Penn State weed scientist, I believe was one of the first to actually, I'll say, embrace this issue. 
in a in a university setting. And uh and, and Bill is a kind of a rare person in that he's a weed scientist that happens to love cover crops. And so in that light, he set out several uh research in the in with cover crops. And uh you can just see this is at a field day they had at one of their research stations um and how he tested various um uh, herbicides at various rates in the context of cover cropping and this helped to give us some clues into how they actually reacted in the field and basically what came out of this is a is a paper that I'm going to share with you I'm going to post it in in uh, an email I sent out with this with this uh a webinar and also on the Facebook page so you can go right to that link. It's too complicated to show here, but it basically gives you it gives you a head start, if you will, on what herbicides you really don't have to worry about and what herbicides you really got to keep an eye on or manage if you happen to need that herbicide. So um this actually was done. This picture was taken in 2012. So um, even now, it's even further refined. And I would encourage any of you who are related to this kind of research, because it does need to be geographical re- replicated. Uh, this is, of course, from Pennsylvania. A lot of this stuff will carry over into other regions. But having different climates and uh, different soil types could re- could these results could be uh, subtly changed reg- regionally. So I, uh, I I would encourage any of you who have access to this kind of, could do something like this to be able to do it. So just uh, looking a little closer here, uh, what what Bill did in his, in his research was he uh, tested this by doing uh, the normal rate, up to four times the rate and down to one-sixteenth the rate. I think it was eight different rates for each herbicide. So this is a very complex a uh, experiment that was set up. And then, as you can see there, about 20 different cover crop species. So this is pretty cool to see this when you can actually see the effects, uh, how this actually works. Uh, if you look close in the bottom, this was... Uh, in this case here, I believe it was Callisto and Atrazine, which is a, uh, is popular in agriculture. So, uh, again, how, how does that affect, uh, the cover crops? And, uh, we've, we found out, as you can see here, Callisto is, it can, can really, uh, affect cover crops. And so it's just something, uh, to, just to, just to be able to understand that when you're trying to decide what to do. Um, however, there are other herbicides that don't seem to affect cover crops as much, or maybe it's a rate issue or maybe a timing issue. Uh, here you can see uh, impact, which um, I'm somewhat familiar with this. I believe it's a post-emergence um, product, in, and um, uh, it, it, again, there does not affect the cover crops nearly as much. So... Uh, it's just, again, sometimes we have to do our own observations in our own fields. But as you can see, this was, this is the kind of thing that I would really encourage could be done around, uh, around the country if you, if you're able to do this. I am, I, I know that, uh, there are other 
universities have done and have produced uh, papers on suggesting how the interaction of cover crops and herbicides are. So uh, I would really encourage you to to seek that out in your region, in your area. I know that Purdue has done some. I know Missouri has. And I'm sorry if I'm not talking about your, your university. They probably have done something. But I got to say that what was done here uh, was pretty impressive. And, and it has been really helpful, really helpful for farmers. Um, so then um, basically what resulted – out of that, and and this is uh, coming up here is a is a fairly current version of where we're at now with the most commonly used herbicides. And um, I just wanted to show you this is like one tenth of it, um, just so you can see how we have the trade names on the on the left hand side, and you go across there in the middle. It basically is giving you a general recommendation for what can be planted. So, um, as I said, I'm going to um, uh, share this web link with you later on uh, when I send out the link to the webinar. I'll put it on Facebook so you can look at this. Uh, and and there, as you just go across this here, you can see some of the concerns and also just some of the other information out there. And I, I feel that this is a very, very practical uh, chart that, that can be used. And if any of you know of your local university that has this stuff, please, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if you forward it to me or put it on Facebook group so we can all see it because I, I think this is very, very helpful and very, very practical. So, um, most of what I've said to this point has been more on, uh, um, theoretical side, but what does it mean for my farm, in my fields, in my situation, with my variabilities? And I feel like I have a pretty good suggestion here of what you can do that doesn't take much effort just to be sure, especially if if you're concerned that you may have a problem. If you want to plant a cover crop, let's just say you used a product um, like reflex in your soybeans, and you're like, wow, beans are coming off early. like to plant a cover crop, but I don't want to waste time and money if it's not going to grow. Well, here's what you can do. Uh, and this actually is the most accurate. Um, and before I go into this, I will, I, will, I will give you an example. When I started testing interseeding back with Penn State in uh, 2011, I used 2.4 quarts of uh, Lumax, and that, on paper, on theory, you would think that my cover crop interceded only uh, five weeks after that spray went on, that that cover crop would not survive. That's what that's what essentially the books would, would tell you, but... I did it anyway because we were just starting with interseeding. I didn't really plan for it from a herbicide standpoint. The cover crop was a mix of radish, sanual ryegrass, and crimson clover. You could see a little bit of, I'll say, um, herbicide damage on that cover, but it grew and it literally flourished later on. So when I was talking to Bill Curran about this, he said that shouldn't work. But then I said... We had more than normal rain, 
and my organic matter is 6%. And he said, oh, well, then that's why it worked. So that little story there kind of illustrates what I just said up till now, but also if you really want to know, you need to do a simple test. And that's nothing more than collecting a representative two-inch soil sample. And two inches is important here because all we want to do is get this cover crop germinated. Uh, pretty much of a herbicide is limited to the top two inches, pretty much. I know there's some there's there's some instances where that may not be the case. But the two-inch soil sample, just two inches deep, is important for this uh, test that you're going to do. So do this uh, about three weeks, because it takes about three weeks to really understand everything. Get about three weeks before you're expecting to plant a cover crop. So you go around the field, and uh, you can just take a shovel and just go down and skim off the top two inches, put it in a bucket, mix it up good, put it in a pot, and then plant the cover crop seeds that you're intending to plant. Of course, water them, and, and keep watering them as you need to, and watch them, uh, and observe them for about two weeks. By that time in the summer, they'll be, they'll be, they should be one to two inches tall, whatever species they are. And you, you will be able then to get a very good indication of what is in your soil. So here's how you make a decision. <clears throat> very weak or dead seedlings, of course, would be too risky to plant cover crops into. Now, having said that, healthy or even, we're going to give an exception here, slightly stunted seedlings are probably okay to plant a cover crop. The reason we're given the exception here for slightly stunted seedlings to grow is, number one, there's probably three more, there was, there's three more weeks, you might have had a little more rain, that's in your favor. But the most important thing is, we took the two-inch sample, because by two weeks' time, those roots will be getting down into soil that probably does not have a, a, any herbicide um, influence anymore. So if we can just get the cover crop established and growing, even though we might see a little bit of stunting, um, it probably will grow out of it. Now I have there are some there are some herbicides that that linger, like I use the example here, reflex, that it may just permanently stunt your cover crop and it just never gets going. But I got enough experience in this and seeing this to feel confident in saying that if your little experiment that you do in your fields, if that looks, if they look fairly healthy, I'm going to say, then you're okay to plant a cover crop. Um, so this, this to me is the best way to see in your fields what you can do because you might be spending hundreds or thousands of dollars in a cover crop and just to spend a couple minutes going out there and doing this and intending these plants can, uh, assure you what you should do. Um, I want to, um, show you, uh, some pictures here of, of kind of what I mean. Now this is in the context of interseeding. Uh, when we're when we're planting corn, uh, we're planting cover crops into corn uh, at the V4 to V6 stage. Now the picture on the left, you can see if you look, it's radishes. You can see just germinating. There is a little tiny crimson clover in there, and there is few little sprigs of annual ryegrass. 
So this here was a case that there was Lumax sprayed on here. And Lumax, we know, that's a typical classic sign there of the, of the Callisto and Lumax creating that bleaching, that, that whitening effect. Classic. Um, but if you look on the right side, um, this was picture here was taken at the same place in the field. It's a little bit further back here now. This is how it looked later on in the season, right before the corn was starting to, uh, to, to, to senesce and to dry down. We had a really good stand there. It, in this case, it grew out of that herbicide damage. So uh, one of the things I want to emphasize here today in this conversation about this topic is that contrary to the way we think about our cash crops, where any sort of herbicide injury is usually detrimental, it may not be in the context of cover cropping if it just – slows them up a little bit, and then they revive later on. Um, now, again, you know, you can think of all kinds of scenarios here where, especially if you're late in the year and it holds the cover crops back, that it just, you know, creates a, a situation where they can't survive the winter, then then there that is a that is a problem in that case. But don't get too alarmed, I will say, if you see a little herbicide damage in your cover crop. Don't make any judgments on that till after it goes through the winter or goes through, a, a you know, weeks uh, uh, later and so forth. Um, so just uh, to review here, if you have any questions, I'm going to unmute everybody soon. But just to review here, I wanted to get the basics down of how to think about herbicides. Uh, to, to understand what the half-life is of a herbicide, to evaluate the amount of rainfall you had from application to when you want to plant your cover, and the organic matter. And, the, and I will put in that that there the soil health, the, the biological life in your soil also has an influence here uh, to this. And then finally, uh, the ultimate, if you're not sure, is to actually take a soil assay and uh, see if the cover crops grow. So I, um, with that, that pretty much uh, uh, wraps up my presentation. I will uh, be sending out a link to that, and I would welcome any other links that you want to send to me directly or put it on Facebook page to any of these because there is quite a few helps that are out there. Um, so... So does any of you have a question on, on this topic here about herbicides and cover crops or experience that you'd like to share? Go ahead, speak if you can. Steve. Yes. Hear me? Yes, I can. I, I always say that. I always thought that the organic matter level had to do with the fact that some herbicides get tied up in the organic matter. That's mm -hmm. why it, you need to have more of it if you're trying to be uh, have better efficacy to kill right. weeds um, as opposed to metabolizing them. So I just wanted to well, check in on, yeah, on that. I, I think you're right there, uh, Brent. Maybe I used the wrong word um, there. Uh, but even if they're tied up uh, in the context of our discussion here today, what I know is that higher organic matter soils, we'll say in this case, are more forgiving to be able to plant cover crops later on. Um, so um, I yeah, think I that's, that. 
yeah, I think that's my answer. Maybe that was a better way to say it. Um, um, so I appreciate their, your, you know, adding that insight to that. And I did want to reiterate about we tried some Lumax-based material mm-hmm. following this Paul Salem, New York, um, mm-hmm. following early sweet corn and had a lot of success with okay. uh, multiple different cover crops as well. But again, we don't want to go out there and, and make any sort of blanket statements. But you know, like you said, there are times when I, I do think that the um, course the legumes were hit a little bit harder mm-hmm. but some of them outgrew it but some some didn't mm-hmm. I've, I've rarely heard reports and I can't say I didn't hear of any I've rarely heard of reports where a cover crop was completely killed by a herbicide uh, I have been in situations where we were scratching our head to figure out why a cover crop did not grow in certain areas of the field and it might have been herbicide, but it wasn't obvious. Um, so uh, this can be somewhat elusive sometimes, and it's probably just good to mention that that uh, even I have experienced on my own farm here where I will have a cover crop planted in some parts of the field it's absolutely perfect, and other, other parts of the field it's not, uh, it's, it's just not very consistent. And just trying to figure out is that a fertility issue, uh, or is it a herbicide or a soil type? You know, sometimes these things are, are a little hard to say, but herbicides always have to come into the question of that because they can affect um, they, they can affect our, our cover crop. Other people have any uh, comments or questions? Steve. Yeah. Um, when you talk about your soil assay, uh, and then in the context of interseeding, do you actually do that with the interseeding, or is that typically something that you would do with your fall seeded cover crops? Yeah, you um, really, I just feel like that. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking that, Stephanie, because I should have clarified that that is pretty much for fall. You don't really hardly have time to do that. That's what I was thinking. For interseeding. Yeah. So I'm glad you clarified that. Appreciate that. So, no, that would be for the fall, uh, uh, and that's mainly when it's dry. Uh, and typically, if you think, and this has been my experience over the years, uh, when it's dry, you're actually planting earlier than normal. Uh, there was less time for that herbicide to dilute. There was less rain for that to dilute. That's when the question typically comes up with uh, interseeding, looking at that chart, going more heavily on the theory behind it is what you almost have to do because you'd be testing your soil like a week after plant or spraying it almost yeah. which really wouldn't be that accurate so and, and again no, that comes with be- trial that comes with trial and error too because uh, some herbicides have not performed as we expected them to with interseeding either good or, or better or worse you know so um, that's Absolutely. yeah so that's a, I'm glad you clarified that um, the other thing I was wondering about, I, I missed just the very first part of the presentation, and uh, um, I've worked with uh, quite a few farmers who will do things like uh, if they use SureStart or other products like that, they look at doing half rates or quarter rates or even less than that just to get, a, just to get that first 30 days of, of uh, a protection with a pre-emerge herbicide, and I was wondering your experiences with some of that or if you had experimented with that at all. Um, I've been playing around with herbicide rates since 1995. Um, so, uh, yes, but where I'm at currently 
and this this is me. You have to understand, I'm a small farmer. Uh, I don't have a lot of acreage to cover. Uh, I am, and but in, in, in spite of that, any of you who have uh, are larger acres, you can at least do this in some of the land. My goal now is to use my cover crop as the first um, line of defense. I'll say against weeds. Now I'll usually do some sort of a burn down uh, with glyphosate. And then I will wait to do a residual until I'm at that V4 stage. And that's been working for me. Uh, if all goes as planned, this 2018 season coming up, I'm going to try to do all my acreage uh, that way to do essentially what we what I would call as a, a post-emergence application, which means no residuals. Now, even with post-emergence, there is some... Some of those herbicides do have a residual that can affect your cover crop later on. Uh, but that's where that's what I'm doing. And I would also say, too, that I do not do a lot of interseeding here on my farm. I feel it's, for me, again, this is for me in southeastern Pennsylvania, it's more effective for me to plant a shorter season of corn and follow the combine with a drill and get it in the ground. Uh, now that being said, I'll tease us all a little here. Uh, we're going to be trying some short stature, long season hybrids next year. Hopefully, 112, 116 day hybrids that are only five feet tall, because I want to figure out how I can effectively grow full season hybrids and use interseeding. So I'll just throw that out there. Uh, something I'm thinking of doing, but uh, that is where what I do, uh, Stephanie. So uh, is that Thank is you. that clarifying? Question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so. Anyone else? I see, yeah, go, Cliff, I see your mic's on. I don't know if you want to ask a question or not, but go ahead if you want. Yeah, I, I would just want to bring up that it's really affected this area this year. Um, we have some a lot of injury that uh, we don't know if it's dry weather or chemicals. That were used. Um, we had, a, you know, the 10 inch rain that came through in April and a lot of resprays had to be done. So, um, we got a lot of cover crops that have been in the ground 90 days that are inch tall. Um, so, um, they're not really growing. I had a question about you made a comment that the chemical stays in the top two inches. Mm-hmm. I thought, um, as the chemical moved through the profile, um, it went down. Is there your thoughts on that? Well, that's, uh, um, I'm a, I'm certainly not a, uh, a weed scientist that I know exactly the, how all the chemistry works. Uh, from what I understand, a majority of the chemistry tends to stay near the top. There are some that goes down in the, the ground. Um, I still would say that um, unless you know, unless I'm proven otherwise, taking a soil sample six inches deep could potentially skew the results worse because we may be diluting the soil where the cover crop will, will, will grow in that context. But if most of that herbicide is near the soil surface, we want to get the cover crop started. And, and once it gets started, then it'll probably grow. If you follow what I'm, the, the way of thinking there. Now, if we get to the point where if you put herbicide A on here, that we know leaches down in the soil, then you should probably take a six or eight inch test for that specific herbicide. Um, 
that's, I guess, my answer to your question. Uh, is that helpful, Chris? Yes. Yes, it is. But because maybe that's, I don't know exactly what your popular herbicides are in Iowa, where you're from, and maybe the ones that are being used there, uh, maybe that is part of the issue this year. Um, are you? Have you been able to identify it? To have you been able to tease out what your observations are to, to certain herbicides, or is it just like there's just a lot of slow growing cover crops this year? Well, there's a lot of slow growing cover crops um, everywhere, um, and then uh, you know, like this stuff was flown on. Um, we've took stalks off in areas, and you know, perfect sunlight and everything. Um, it was residual. It put on in May after the first crop was. Mm-hmm. You know, destroyed and replanted corn, um, and it's just like days it grows, and then days it almost goes backwards, and it just seems like the chemical is just still there, trying to hold it back, and never letting it explode, and that's been the frustration about it. Did Did I understand you say that the majority of the lethargic cover crops were flown on? Yes. See that that right there sends up a little orange flag for me, uh, and I'll just make a comment. I understand, you know, that flying them on is the easiest, but I would have to say, and I would, would really appreciate anyone else's perspective on this, I would have to say that broadcast cover crops, I think, are more affected by herbicide potential injury than those who are drilled. Um, now, that is just, I'll just say, um, uh, evidence that I've, anecdotal evidence, I'll just say. Uh, is there anybody else that would support that theory that there seems to be more challenges with cover crops that are flown on versus drilled? I wouldn't mind hearing from someone else on that. Anybody? Well, what do you think, Cliff? Uh, I, I would agree um, that, you know, this year's reminded me of that. Um, but there's a lot of edifields fields that were drilled in. Um, actually, I had a producer that drilled them in in Moss Hill Rye um, to dry weather or cover crops uh, to herbicide, um, and it was really frustrating. That was the first time that I lost Hill Rye um, to that. So that was, uh, it, you know, we were pretty dry. You know, we got a lot of lakes and wells that are going dry here okay. um, this fall because we have no big rain this fall to keep leaching stuff through the system, and that's why I think it's keeping lingering on that we haven't flushed it out. Yeah. Yeah, makes uh, sense. I, I've also had some, uh, you know, problems with alfalfa um, seeded to fine year after Acuron has been uh-huh. applied the year before. I see. And sometimes just the field history, depending how aggressive a farmer was, you know, you can have a, almost I call it a buildup of herbicides over time if they if they tend to use high rates and soil type could play into that. I mean, all these variables certainly can play into it. Um, so, Jen, I saw you had your mic on there for a bit. Did you want to have a comment on on broadcast seeding and all that? Well, it was just, um, yeah, with a better seed-to-soil contact with the drill, I mean, even with the, um, you know, the in Delaware, we use an air seeder sometimes, which is um, a little better than an air clean and still not as good yeah. as the drill, depending on... Um, your the weather, especially that you get after you've seeded it. 